Tonight, if you would, Jonah chapter number two, as you know, Wednesday nights here in the summer, we're going through the book of Jonah, just a four little chapter book, probably one of the most familiar of the minor prophet books. Uh, Jonah chapter number two. I've said this before, but uh, Jonah was a prophet of his day, and uh, he uh, was called by God to go preach to the Ninevites. Nineveh is Korath, the capital of Assyria. Nineveh was northeast of where uh, Jonah was, and Jonah really had no interest whatsoever. He didn't want to do that. Uh, look there in chapter 1, if you would, Jonah chapter 1 and verse 1. The Bible says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the Am uh, son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. So that was the call. Then verse 3 is his response, but Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So Jonah didn't want to do it. He's running the other direction. He's convinced himself that he can outrun God, and of course that's a crazy thing. I've said this, that many people like to use Jonah as their excuse for why they don't believe the Bible. They'll, they'll say, you don't really believe that a whale could swallow a man and he could survive all of that. And our answer is yes, we believe it because the Bible says it's true, so we don't struggle. Of course, Jonah is the story of a believer who's disobedient to God. Jonah is the story of God interested in getting the uh, mission story to every nation. And uh, Jonah, of course, is a picture of someone that can minister to people and not love the people he ministers to. Having said that, we find ourselves tonight in Jonah chapter 2, and if you'd follow as I read the first four verses, Jonah chapter 2, verse 1 to 4, I'll begin in verse number 1. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly, and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me out of the belly of hell, cried I, and thou heardest my voice. For thou hast cast me into the deep, into the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about, all thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for each one that's here tonight. Lord, I know that some of our folks are out of town we have some away at uh, youth camp, and, and Lord, I just pray that you'd help each one where they're at. Thank you for the faithfulness of these that have come, and I pray you'd help as we continue to look in this very familiar book of Jonah. Help us to find something that's practical, something that's helpful, something that would challenge our hearts even tonight, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, we know that Jonah decided he was going to run the other way. And uh, when he figured that he could outrun God, that's a foolish thought. God, of course, prepared something. Look there in Jonah 1 and verse 17. The Bible says, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Uh, if you understand these four chapters of this book, there's really no good news in chapter number one. Chapter number one is God giving Jonah the instructions of what God wanted him to do. And Jonah chapter one continues with Jonah saying, I'm not going to do it, God. I've got a different plan that I'd like to follow. 
So all of Jonah chapter 1 is God giving him instruction. Jonah saying, I don't want to do that. Jonah running down to the harbor, getting on the first ship that he founds. It looks like it's a cargo ship. It's not even a passenger ship. He goes onto that ship, goes down below, falls asleep. God sends waves and wind that cause even experienced shipmen to be nervous until finally says, the only way this will stop if you throw me overboard. They throw him overboard. A whale swallows him. Everything in chapter 1 is just bad. Bad news, bad news, bad news. Do you know the first little hint of good news is chapter 2? Look again at verse 1. Then Jonah prayed. Well, this is the very first time we find this saint of God doing what he should have done in chapter number 1. He should have been praying back in chapter number 1, but finally now, after being in this whale three days and three nights, he finally begins to pray. That's a good thing. I'm taking my title tonight from verse number 4. There in Jonah chapter 2 and verse 4, while he's praying, then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, God's sight. Jonah recognizes that his poor decisions have put him at a distance from God. So he says there again in verse number four, then I said, speaking to God, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. My title is those four words, I will look again. This is a picture of a believer who is out of tune with God. He's out of sync with God. He's not obedient to God. He is doing his own thing. And because of those choices, his life has just been turned upside down. But he finally comes to the place where he's tired of the fruit of bad decisions. And that's why he says in verse number one that he begins to pray. In verse number four, he says, yet I will look again. It's a great thing when somebody that didn't want to do what God said do changes their mind and wants to do what God says do. I found this list of eight observations about Jonah when he's going the wrong way, and, and you wouldn't be able to write it because I'm going to read it too fast, but eight observations. First of all, he's moving to the wrong place. He's going to Tarshish instead of going to Nineveh. And you know, when he's going that way, it's quite possible that he was the only one that knew he was going the wrong way. Others might have thought, that's that prophet, that's that Jonah, he's taking a ship to Tarshish, maybe God's called him to Tarshish. I'm saying to you, we know, because we've read the text, that he's going the wrong way. Maybe there's other people that didn't know that. Maybe there's other people that thought he must be following God's next direction. Not only he was moving to the wrong place, secondly, he was trying to dodge God's face. Notice it says back there in chapter 1 and verse 3, it says, But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He's not looking for God. He's looking to get away from God. Third thing, he's milling around in the wrong space. It says there that he went to Joppa. That's not where God wanted him. So he's, he's found in the wrong space. Fourth thing that we find is he is paying for his backslidden ways. 
by money that God won't replace. I've said before that when God's finger points, God's hand provides. And you know, when we are doing what God has told us to do, when we are following God's direction, God will always provide everything that's needed for us to obey what God says to do. Jonah's not doing what God says for him to do. So he is paying the fare thereof. And God's never going to reimburse him for that. God's never going to pay him back for that. I find the next thing here, he was soon to learn that you can't outrun God in any race. Again, he's convinced somehow I can get away from God. And that's certainly not the case because God knows exactly where he's at. The fifth thing we notice, look there in chapter 1 and verse 5. Then the mariners were afraid and cried, Every man unto his God, and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. Do you know that there's other people around Jonah that are hurting for his bad decision? You know, we ought to do right because it's right to do right, but we ought to do right because those that are around us will reap the benefits of us doing right, or those around will hurt because we don't do right. Again, the fifth thing that we notice is he's bringing to others around him much disgrace. Uh, the sixth thing, he was oblivious to the extent of trouble while he was in his own little resting place. He was down there in the lower sides of the ship asleep. He had no idea about the trouble that was on top of that deck. He was oblivious to the things that were going on. And again, when we're not in tune with God, we don't really understand the trouble that others are facing. The seventh thing is he was a completely ineffective witness and been a witness at all and talked to anyone about the Lord. They said, who is your God? Where are you from? Where are you going? What do you do? They had, he had not opened his mouth one time to talk about his God. And finally, he was as valuable to God, <laughs> I'm trying to rhyme, as a broken flower vase. We got a lot of flower vases in our 20-foot edition. Every once in a while, one falls and breaks. They're useless. Once they break, all we do is clean it up, throw it in the trash. That's how useful that Jonah was at this time in his life. So again, we're going to look at this idea of, I will look again. That's the first hint of something that's going right in his life. And so we're trying to ponder what's all involved. Look again at chapter 2 and verse 4. It says, then I said, I'm cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. If, if you notice in those words, Jonah finally admitted that he wasn't where God wanted him to be. You know that we can't help a lost sinner until they see their true condition. Until they're lost, they can't get saved. Until they're lost, there would be no benefit for them to pray a sinner's prayer because they first have to see their lost condition. For Jonah to say in chapter 2 and verse 4, yet I will look again, he's finally recognizing I've taken my eyes off of God, I've taken my desire off the things of God, 
So in those words, I will look again, he's acknowledging that his present position is far removed from God. I can't look at your heart no more than you can look at my heart. But either when you look at your heart, you'd have to be able to say, you know, things are going really well with me spiritually. They might not be going well physically or financially. It might not even be going well family-wise. But if you can look in your heart and say, spiritually, things are well between me and God, that's a good thing. He couldn't say that. Look again at chapter 2 and verse 4. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight. Jonah first came to the understanding that he was not where he was supposed to be. I'm sure you've heard this cute little story. There's an older couple that was driving down a country road, and they came to a one-lane bridge. So they waited as another vehicle was coming across. And as this older couple sitting waiting in their vehicle, in this vehicle that's coming across, there was a young couple. And they were sitting so close together, you couldn't tell who was driving. And this old couple, the lady says to her husband, you remember when we used to be like that? Why isn't it like that anymore? And you know, the husband said, well, I haven't moved. You've moved. Now, I know, bucket seats and all the rest. I understand that. Could I say if things are not like they were? Do you remember when you first got saved? Remember how good it was? Someone sat you down and told you the gospel. You recognized that you were a sinner needing a savior. And you trusted Christ as your savior. Do you remember that feeling? I know we're not saved by feelings, but often when a person trusts Christ as their Savior and the burden of their sin lifted, there is often a great feeling that comes with that. Say, preacher, I, I don't have that kind of joy anymore. I don't have that kind of excitement in my Christian life anymore. I say all that to say, God hasn't moved. If anyone's moved... We've moved. And it's a great step when we realize it's we that has moved, not God. You might be disappointed by people. You might be disappointed by family. You might be disappointed by church. You might be disappointed by where you work. You might be disappointed by a thousand things. But God has never disappointed you. God might not have done what you thought he should have done. Well, folks, God has never disappointed us. So if you or I don't have that joy of the Christian life like we once did, we've allowed something to come between us and God. And I'm saying to you the very first thing that we see when he says, yet I will look again. He is recognizing that his present position was far removed from God. David came to a place like that. David said over there in Psalm 51, David said, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. That Psalm 51 is a chapter that David wrote. You remember David committed sin with Bathsheba, 2 Samuel 11. 
David tried to hide it for a year. He thought, nobody will find out. But after one year, God sent the prophet Nathan to David to expose David of that sin. And David wrote Psalm chapter 51 after he finally recognized this is not going to go away. In fact, keep your hand there in Jonah. Turn, if you would, to Psalm chapter 51. Psalm chapter 51 gives a list of things that uh, David uh, had to deal with in that year that uh, he was trying to hide his sin. Look there in Psalm chapter number 51 and verse number 1, David writes, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, cleanse me from my sins. So that whole year David felt dirty. He felt dirty because of the sin that he had done. Verse 3, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. So not only did he feel dirty, this memory of this sin that he had done, it haunted him. Day after day after day, he couldn't get the victory over that thought problem. Again, verse number 4, Psalm 51, 4, against thee, the only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and sinned, and my mother conceived me. And uh, we won't read all of it, but look there in verse number, uh, verse number 12. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. You know, David, for a year, he didn't have the joy. Oh, he had the routine. He had the ritual. But he didn't have the joy. And folks, I say, and I say to myself as much as I say to you, if there isn't that joy of the Christian life, God hasn't moved. God is where God has always been. Back there to Jonah chapter 2. And so we're, we're trying to examine what exactly are we to learn from this statement, Jonah 2 and verse 4, where Jonah says, yet I will look again. Jonah acknowledges that his present position was far removed from God. You say, oh, preacher, something's wrong. Something's wrong in my heart. Pastor, I, I used to read the Bible and it's just a chore. Pastor, I'd get my knees and talk to God in prayer, and now I can get on my knees, but it just, I, the, the words don't come. Preacher, I, I used to sing those old-fashioned hymns in church, and, and I know the words, but there isn't the joy from that. Pastor, I, look, I used to look forward to giving out gospel tracts, and now I don't want to do that. Preacher, I... When I got my paycheck on Friday, the first thing I did was write out my tithe and missions. But pastor, I don't like doing that. Preacher, what is wrong with me? That's, that's where Jonah was in all of chapter number one. But chapter number two, he, he did the first good step. Recognized, God hasn't moved. I've moved. 
And I don't know, I, I know we have people listen to the audio of this, or so whether it's someone sitting here or someone listening to this, I'm saying to you, if the joy isn't there, the first thing is what Jonah did there in chapter number two. He recognized that uh, he was far removed from God. Do you know, as long as we blame someone else, it's my wife. That's why I don't have the victory. It's my husband. It's my children, my parents, it's, it's my job, it's my church, it's my pet. As, as long as we're trying to point the finger at somebody else, we aren't yet going to see a victory like Jonah is beginning to see. There was an old Negro spiritual, not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Do you know, sin will always take us down, and David and Bathsheba he may have tried to accuse and excuse, but finally he had to recognize it was him. And Achan, when he stole that Babylonian garment, he may have said, well, I'm just not getting paid enough as an Israeli soldier. And, you know, if Joshua just paid me more, sin will always get you to point at somebody else for why you don't have joy in your Christian life. Adam, he tried to blame Eve, was the woman God that you gave me. She was the one. I'm saying to you, we're finally seeing in chapter number two. Look again there, if you would, in, in verse number four. Then I said, I, he's no longer pointing at anybody else. I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. I give you a second thing. Not only did Jonah finally acknowledge that he was far removed from God, but look there again in Jonah chapter 2 and verse 4. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. Could I say secondly, by faith he was looking again to God. And just by faith. Pastor, I think I'm beyond hope. No one's beyond hope. As long as there's breath in your lungs and, and blood pumping in your body, don't ever give up having that joy restored again. And so we see secondly in these words, I will, uh, yet I will look again. We see by faith he's looking again to God. Do you know, it was a look of faith, although Jonah was a man of God who had uh, belligerently said no to God. He knew that his God was a forgiving God. And folks, again, I, I, I can't preach something that's not in the text. The text is a Jonah in chapter 1 that was running the wrong way. Thank God that he's turning. He recognized, I'm far off from God. But secondly... He believed that God was a merciful God that would fix it. And folks, God is. God can restore and God can repair and God can fix. But preacher, you don't know how far from God that I've gone. Will the Lord ignore someone who wants to get back to him? No, he won't. And, and, and it doesn't matter how far that you've gone. God can still restore that. Not only it was a look of faith. Noticely, it's a prayer of the fallen. Look there again at 
chapter number 2 and verse 1. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. Do you know, we can't find Jonah praying in chapter 1 anywhere. But chapter 2, he's starting to pray. We find the other mariners, they're praying. Look there in chapter 1, verse 5. Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God. So we could say they were praying. But you know, nowhere in chapter number 1 is Jonah praying. Could I say this? As long as you're running from God, you don't have a prayer life. You don't have an altar. You're, you're not talking to God because you're not interested in hearing what God wants to tell you. But when he said, I will yet turn again, God has reestablished a prayer life. Keep your hand there in Jonah. Look, if you would, in uh, Genesis chapter number 12. Genesis chapter number 12 is our introduction to Abraham. Genesis chapter number 12, look there if you would in verse number 1. Genesis 12 and verse 1, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. So the God is calling Abraham to leave Ur. And God said, I just want to show you a land. That's kind of vague, kind of uncertain. But uh, look at there in verse 4. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. And Lot went with him, and Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And uh, they came into Canaan. We find that at the end of verse number five. Look there in verse number seven. So he's now in this Canaanite land. Verse seven, And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. So God is beginning to reveal to Abram more and more because Abram is obedient to God. Look there in the middle of verse 7. It says, And there builded he, that's Abram, an altar unto the Lord. That altar is a picture of the fact that Abraham is in communion. He's talking to God. He's praying. He not only did he pray there in verse number 7, look there in verse 8. God is continuing to lead Abraham, and he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Hai on the east. And there he builded an altar unto. There's another altar. In other words, as, as, as God is leading Abraham, and as Abraham is obeying God, everywhere that Abraham stops, he, he gets down on his face with an altar, and he talks to God. That, that, could I say it this way, that, that prayer life was evidence that Abraham is in tune with God. So it's looking pretty good there in Genesis chapter 12 up to verse number 9, but look at verse 10. The Bible says, and there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there. For the famine was grievous in the land, and it came to pass when he was come near to enter into Egypt. You know, from chapter 12 and verse 10 to the end of chapter 12, he's in Egypt. Oh. Egypt is always a picture of the world. So Abraham, he was trusting God in Genesis 12, 1, 12, 2, 12, 3, 12, 4, 12, 5, 12, 6. 
12-7, and it was so real, he, he built an altar there, and he had a communion with God, and God moved him to the next place, and he built an altar there until you get to verse 10, and a famine comes. Well, Abram, talk to God. Don't you ask God what you're supposed to do in this famine? He didn't talk to God. He headed down to, he headed down to the world. And do you know in the rest of chapter number 12, Abraham has no altar. He is not talking to God when he's in the world. He is not communing with God when he's in Egypt. In fact, we don't find Abraham building an altar again until he comes out of Egypt. Look there in Genesis chapter 13. And verse number 1, And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle and silver and gold, and he went on his journey from the south even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Hai, unto the place of the altar, which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord, while he was in the world, he didn't have a prayer life. He wasn't talking to God. Could I ask you, do you have a prayer life? I'm not talking about before you eat. Lord, bless the food. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm talking about a prayer life. Do you talk to God? Jonah didn't talk to God in all of chapter 1. And that's why in chapter 2, it's, it's a significant turning because he recognizes I have drifted from God. And so he, by faith, believes, Lord, you can restore what I have foolishly lost. And the evidence that he wanted that is Jonah began to pray again. How's your prayer life? Is it rich? Is it good? Is it, is it genuine? Do you spend time talking to God? Say, Pastor, I don't. Then could I suggest, without you hating me completely, you're still in chapter 1. Because when you get to chapter 2, there's something about that prayer life that gets restored. First of all, he trusted that by faith, God could restore him. Secondly, he began a prayer life. It was the prayer of the fallen. Quickly, two more and I'm done. There's a third thing that we notice. And look back there, if you would, in Jonah, in the book of Jonah. Chapter number two, we, we won't look at it. We'll hold it till next week. But you know, in Jonah chapter two, no less than seven times, does Jonah start quoting the scriptures? Jonah quotes from the book of Psalms, and again, we won't look at it, but from Jonah chapter 2, beginning in verse 4, to the end of verse 10, there are cross-references where Jonah is quoting Psalm 22, and then Psalm 16, and then Psalm 88, and then Psalm 42, and then Psalm 31, and then Psalm 138, and then Psalm uh, 69. Yeah, I wouldn't expect you to remember those. If you just remember when 
he begins to acknowledge, I've drifted from God. One, by faith, he believes that God can restore him. Two, he begins to reestablish a prayer life. Third, the Bible becomes precious to him again. He starts quoting scripture. Now, he's not reading it, but he's quoting what David had written over 150 years before. He's starting to quote that. It's now on his mind, and it's on his heart, and it's on his tongue. When he's talking, he's talking Bible. He's not talking philosophies. He's not talking psychology in that will. He's talking Bible. Pastor, how can I know? If I have drifted from God, how can I know if, if, if I'm, I'm starting to get back on target? First, you'll admit that you have drifted from God. God hasn't moved. You've done the drifting. Second, you will by faith ask God to restore what you've lost. Third, you'll begin to pray. And not just some little diddly. You'll have a prayer life with God. Two, the Bible will become precious to you again. You'll read it. You'll quote it. You'll talk Bible. I give you the last thing. Say, Pastor, how else do I know when this turning is taking place? Look again at verse 4. It's where we started. Jonah chapter 2 and verse 4. Then I said, I'm cast out of thy sight, yet. You know that word, yet, was Jonah saying, I believe I've not gone so far that God can't help me. Your Christian life is going great, if it's going great tonight. You say, well, preacher, I don't really need this. Not yet. You might need it to help somebody else. But if you'd say, you know what, preacher, a lot of things have happened in the last months, last years of my life. And I'm not spiritually what I once was. Okay, it starts with admitting, God, you've not moved. God, you've not changed. I've changed. That's the first step. That's the start. Secondly, would you by faith believe that God can fix it again? Don't give up. By faith, Lord, I believe you can restore my heart to where it once was. Ask God to help reestablish a prayer life. Lord, would you help me? God, I, I just, I, I sit at a chair and close my eyes and fold my hands and God, nothing, nothing comes out. It, it, my, I, I, preacher, I don't have a prayer life. Ask God to establish that. Ask the Bible, God, that the Bible would be more than just words on a page. Start believing it and quoting it and talking it. And accept the fact that as much as you or I have slipped from God, yet it's never so far that God can't restore it. Folks, we serve a good God. We serve a great God. God is waiting since it's we that have slid from God. God's waiting for us to take the first step. 
and he'll help us all the rest of the way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Chapter 1, pretty sad story of Jonah. There's not really anything encouraging about Jonah in chapter 1. We're encouraged about God, that God wouldn't let him continue to run, that God was going to shake his peaceful world and rattle it to pieces to get Jonah's attention. Our encouragement in chapter 1 is God. The Lord, the first glimmer of encouragement about Jonah is chapter 2. He starts praying. He starts quoting the Bible. He starts uh, believing that it's never too late. And Lord, I don't, I don't know who this will help the most. Would you help us, Lord? If there's not that same joy that we once had in the Christian life, could we be honest and say, God, you've not moved, I have. And Lord, help us to be genuine and say, Lord, I, I want that joy back again. I want to pray like I once prayed. I want to read the Bible and get something from it like I once did. And God, by faith, I believe you can do it. Please help me. Help us, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.